We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We have seen the smoke from flashbangs. We have seen people coming off of the lawn who have been tear gassed or pepper sprayed. Before the Capitol rioting of January 6, 2021, there was the Capitol bombing 50 years earlier, March of 1971. At one minute before one o'clock this morning, the switchboard at the Capitol received a phone call. A man's voice said a bomb would go off in the building in half an hour. At 1.30 in the morning, it did. In a small, unmarked restroom on the ground floor of the Senate side, next to a barber shop and near several small offices, including one committee hearing room. Hello. I'm going to read a declaration of a state of war. This is the first communication from the weatherman underground. Back in the late 60s and early 70s, America was in deep turmoil over the war in Vietnam, racial strife here at home, and a bubbling counterculture that believed America needed a revolution. It was a time that was very similar to our time and very, very different, you know, a time when the country was divided along racial lines, around, around generational lines. There's no way to be committed to nonviolence in the middle of the most violent society that history's ever created. I'm not committed to nonviolence in any way. This week on 880 In Depth, a conversation with writer and podcast host Zaid Ayers Dorn, a child of the Weather Underground. What can we learn from looking back at what radicalized the revolutionaries of the 60s and 70s? We can now have enough distance from the 60s and 70s to look back at the Weather Underground, at the Black Panthers, and say they made mistakes, there were excesses, there were failures, but that ultimately they were fighting on the right side around issues like racism, around issues like war and imperialism. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld. This week we present a podcast about a podcast. In 1970, a 28-year-old recent law school graduate became the most wanted woman in America. Angela Davis was replaced on the FBI's 10 most wanted list this afternoon by Bernadine Ray Dorn, described as an underground leader of the weathermen. They said she was an enemy of the state. Within the next 14 days, we will attack a symbol or institution of American injustice. A homegrown terrorist. A bomb exploded early this morning in the Pentagon. J. Edgar Hoover called her the most dangerous woman in America. I'm going to read a declaration of a state of war. She's also my mother. 
The writer and creator of the podcast Mother Country Radicals is Zaid Ayers Dorn. Yeah, so Mother Country Radicals is a family history. It's a story of my family, which is kind of a crazy story, uh, being born underground the way I was and growing up on the run from the FBI. My mother was on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted list when I was a kid. Uh, and so in a way, this the podcast is a family history, a way to kind of understand my parents, why they decided to have kids when they were on the run. Uh, and it's also a political history, a history of resistance movements in America, the Weather Underground and their relationship with the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. So it's about kind of a time in the 60s and 70s that much like today, we were in a divided country, country divided around race and, and police violence against black people and a group of young activists who decided to fight back against that. And then the mistakes they made along the way and then ultimately how they found their way back to being parents themselves. Zaid Ayers Dorn is a playwright, professor, and a child of two of the most well-known radicals of the 1960s, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, both founding members of the Weather Underground. Today he is telling his story, their story, and the history of the radicalization of groups like the Weathermen, the Students for a Democratic Society, and the Black Panthers in this podcast, Mother Country Radicals. Some of the voices in the show are convicted cop killers. Others are radicals who spent years, even decades, living underground, hiding from authorities. Most notably, we hear from Kathy Boudin, a founding member of the Weather Underground who surfaced in the 1981 Brinks job that saw white revolutionaries working with black revolutionaries. Boudin served 20 years in prison for her role. Released in 2003, she went on to continue her social work at a Manhattan HIV program then went on to work and teach at Columbia's School of Social Work. Kathy Boudin died this past May after battling cancer, but not before sitting down to tell her story to Zaid Ayers Dorn. Didn't really know what was happening. I just heard some shots, and I just started to run away. And I ran down a hill onto the New York Thruway. As you can tell, the history of the weather underground, even 50 years later, is still messy and still controversial. In the 10 episodes of Mother Country Radicals, Zaid Ayers Dorn digs into it all in an audio trip through history. Well, I think if you don't know the story at all, you'll learn a lot. You'll, you'll, you'll learn about a time that was very similar to our time and very, very different. You know, a time when the country was divided along racial lines, around, around generational lines, and when a group of young people who you'll recognize, you know, they're, they're just like the kids taking to the streets for Black Lives Matter or for the Sunshine Movement or for March for Our Lives. They're idealistic people who want to make a better world. And then you'll see how they slowly become, you know, radicalized by state repression of that activism, by the killing of black people, including Fred Hampton, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And you'll see, you know, what drove those people. I mean, I'm a writer. I'm not an activist. What interests me is the personal stories behind the politics, why people do the things they do. So I think if you don't know the story, you'll come out being really surprised at how human these people are. And if you do know the story, if you think you know the history, I think you'll come out of it with a much deeper understanding of who those people were, not just the Weather Underground, but members of the Black Panthers, the Black Liberation Army. You'll understand why people are radicalized, why they're committed to that fight. You might even understand more about people like the January 6th insurrectionists, you know, why people become radicals, even if their views are misguided. I sat down with Zaid Dorn to hear more about his deep dive into the 60s and 70s and into his own story of being born underground. 
Where did this project begin? Yeah, well, it really began with, uh, it was during the pandemic, and I was thinking about um, projects I wanted to do. You know, I'm mostly a playwright and screenwriter, but everything was shut down. And I was also thinking about how a lot of folks in my family, my mom was about to turn 80, and my adopted brother's mom was very sick with cancer. And they, these are historical figures who really played, you know, played a part in some pretty amazing historical moments in American history. So I thought it was important to get them on tape while I could. And and that's really where the project started. Very personal story. Did you ever think it would get to this point? I mean, obviously, there's a personal curiosity to hear some of these stories, but really, you went really in the rabbit hole, didn't you? I really did. And, and it started as just a kind of a personal archive and an oral history. But then, you know, as I was working on it, I was thinking about these people and their resi- their place in sort of resistance in American history. And uh, about when I was working on it, it was when George Floyd was killed and we were having this massive discussion about, you know, racial reckoning in America. And at the same time, I was realizing so many of these folks in my family, the reason they got radicalized was, you know, fighting racism, fighting police violence. And so it started to seem like an interesting and important story to tell now. I, I think some of the some of the organizations, some of the revolution groups that you talk about are, are known to us yeah. in narratives that we've heard over the decades, whether it's the SDS or whether it's the uh, the Black Liberation Army, the Black Panthers, the Weather Underground, the Weathermen. Yeah. Um, but I, I think when you listen to this podcast, you really learn a lot more about the origins of each of the organizations, which is kind of really a historical record of how people in the 60s became radicalized. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's supposed to be a kind of a history of how individuals got radicalized and how these groups came together. You know, black and white revolutionaries working together. I think that's a story we haven't really heard much before. But really, as I as I learned about my family and their friends, I, it was all these individual stories of going from being, you know, idealistic young activists to being revolutionaries and then the black and the white uh, activists meeting up together and working together. And that's really what the story is about. In this city, you know, part of the narrative is the is the the townhouse explosion yeah. uh, that we all knew about, that we all reported on. You know, back in the day, um, but we didn't know what roads took to that to get to that point. And yeah. I think that's what the value of the podcast was. It was pretty amazing to hear the moment, and you had a couple of stories of a couple of different individuals. The moment that the radicalization sort of took hold, and I, and I think your mom's. Uh, situation was quite interesting. That moment that she stood there and said, wow, this is impactful. In Chicago, right? In Chicago, yeah. And it was a fascinating moment. I didn't know anything about it before I started to talk to her. But, you know, she was marching with Dr. King on the streets of Chicago and trying to change the world to this nonviolent way. And then she was at a, a eviction watching some sheriffs take furniture out of somebody's house. And some man said, can you hold my jacket to her? She turned around and it was Muhammad Ali. And he walks forward, takes all the furniture, picks it up, carries it back in. The whole crowd starts doing it. And that was a moment for my mom of realizing, you know, you can do direct action. Even if the police are telling you not to, you can kind of try to change the world. It's it's almost like everybody who had a story uh, as part of the podcast uh, had had a moment like that, right? Mm. You know, in in some cases, it could have been the murder of somebody in their neighborhood, uh, yeah. somebody who was gunned down. Uh, but 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 that's the case. Really, was there in each of those cases there was a moment that radicalized them? That's exactly right. One of the fascinating things is that sometimes it's the same moment. You know, you can have my mom, a white woman in Chicago who's like 26 years old, a law student, and then Jamal Joseph, who's a 15-year-old black kid in in Harlem, and they're both radicalized by first the killing of of. Martin Luther King Jr., and then the killing of Fred Hampton in Chicago, those moments for both of them set them on this path together towards radicalization. It's a complicated 
history. I mean, mm. that was a really, really difficult time yeah. as a nation in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, it didn't calm down for those first few years. It really was a, what an intense period of time from like this, you know, 68 through 72 or something like that. And even today, we're, we're talking on the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in, mm -hmm. which was very impactful. What do you think was most at play uh, when you look back at it, what 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 activity was it? The war was it was it uh, was it prejudice? Was it racial inequality? What was it? I think it was. You're right. It was a stew of all those things. But you know, just like today, and one of the things I hope people get out of the podcast is it it shouldn't feel like an old history lesson. I mean, I think when you listen to it, it feels like you could be talking about right now and you really feel the stories of these young people in a, in a country that's divided against itself, generationally, racially. And, you know, we're living through that again today, the, this, the, a country that, that really doesn't seem to know what its future looks like. And, and that's what these people were facing then. The explosion destroyed one of the Pentagon's 140 women's restrooms and blasted out a wall on the fourth floor. No one was injured. As we've pointed out, the mother country radical story is not without its controversy. The Weather Underground set off bombs targeting mostly property, the U.S. Capitol, the Pentagon, the Department of State. A townhouse here in New York City exploded when Weather Underground members were preparing another bomb in the 1970s that was said to target members of the military. Three Weather Underground members died in that explosion. Two barely escaped, including... Kathy Boudin. In a rich man's home, they found a basement workshop with sticks of dynamite and the materials. And then there's the case of Joanne Chesimard, still wanted by the FBI today for her escape from a New Jersey prison in the 1970s. She'd been serving time for the murder of a New Jersey state trooper, Werner Forster, who had pulled the car over she was riding in. Today, Chesimard is still on the run, thought to be living in Cuba. The story of her arrest, her conviction, and her escape are all intertwined in the world of the Weather Underground. And we still don't really know exactly what happened there. There are conflicting stories about it. But, but to this day, Joanne Chesimard is, a, you know, is considered a cop killer in, in, this, in this area. Yeah, and she's still a fugitive. She's still underground, uh, presumably living in Cuba. I speak in the podcast to her daughter, Kakuya Shakur, who's, you know, uh, hasn't seen her mother for 20-some years. And I think, you're right, there's controversy about all these things, and nobody knows exactly what happened in these confrontations between police and activists. Uh, and in the podcast, I don't really try to make a decision about exactly what happened. I tell people stories. I try to kind of set the scene and then and then let people kind of imagine what, what might have happened in those in those moments. I, I will say that you do seem to, and, and the voices within the podcast, including um, uh, Kathy Boudin, uh, do, do speak to uh, the trauma that occurred in, in the Rockland County community. Mm -hmm. There is actually some somewhat of a judgment there that and, and I guess in the podcast, you really sort of make it, make it clear that that might have been the end, right? Yeah. No, I think the, the, these revolutionary movements went far enough along the tracks and then kind of went off the tracks. And they did some things that even the participants now would say were terrible mistakes and, and really terrible tragedies and, and in some cases really unconscionable crimes. I mean, uh, but, you know, one of the things that I do in the show is I press almost everybody involved about you know, what are your regrets? What do you look back on and think like that was a, a terrible mistake? And their their answers are quite interesting and surprising. Yeah, no, I do agree. And, I, and again, off air, we were talking about hearing uh, Kathy Boudin's voice. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in my 
uh, reporting history, I've been in courtrooms with her, you know, 40 years ago um, and saw her at that worst moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really has traveled. She really traveled a distance before she passed away a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, about it. And you talk about that in the podcast where she had a friend come visit her mm-hmm. and she had this realization of her actions and their impact. Forget her son. Yeah. On society. Yeah, no, absolutely. She had to think, you know, 22 years in prison is a long time to think about what you've done wrong. And I think Kathy went on a long journey, first kind of defending herself and then ultimately realizing that she had to atone for some things and, and ultimately kind of coming out of prison a very different person. She ended up taking care of my kids uh, after 22 years in prison and really kind of getting to be a sort of a surrogate mother for the first time after abandoning her son to go out and rob this bank. What do you say to um, anybody who might uh, criticize maybe family members of those who were impacted by some of these um, some of these ra- radical personalities, some mm-hmm. of these revolutionaries? About mm-hmm. are you um, you know are you elevating their stories to a point where um, they don't deserve it? Yeah, I mean, I think I have a ton of sympathy for the people who were impacted by these crimes, and you know, I, I say on the podcast. You know, I was born into this world. My brother Chesa was born into this world, and and the families of the victims were also born into this world. They didn't. Nobody chose. None of us chose to be. You know, caught up in these revolutionary moments. I would say, you know, this isn't a definitive history, but I try to be objective about what happened, and I try to tell the stories of the people I know, and try to get people to understand, not to glorify, but just to understand. If you take the actions of uh, of some of these folks out of it, but you look at their contributions today, post-revolution, <laughs> post-revolutionary activities, yeah. they're pretty significant contributors to their local communities. Your dad, your mom, um, yeah. even members of the Black Liberation Army who gave that up. Or, you know, they're doing things for their community. I think you told the story of uh, the, the son of... Mayor Daly, who who gave your dad uh, an, a civic award for his uh, teaching influence. Yeah, it's the incredible irony of history that my dad, who you know ran through the streets of downtown fighting with police and breaking windows, and then 20, 30 years later, the son of that mayor gives him the Chicago Citizen of the Year award for his work with educational reform. You know, does it does it say that had they put those energies in those community aspects back then instead of you know, uh, travel the road of violence, you know, could they have been contributors? Could they have done the same kind of influence? Yeah, it's hard to know. But I mean, I think they would say that they were, you know, driven kind of over the edge of of sort of mainstream rational sense by what was happening in the world, the Vietnam War, killing of black people by police. And they, you know, did some things that were very extreme. And then after they had children, they kind of reintegrated into society. And a lot of them went on to decades more of activism, climate activism, race activism, criminal justice activism. And yeah, I think they all have uh, tried to change the world for the better in all sorts of ways since then. And I want to look at this through the lens of of where we are living now, 2022. Yeah. And um, I mean, there are different ends of the spectrum where you can look. There are, there's, there are revolutionaries in their own minds convinced of uh, if you look at the far right, mm-hmm. convinced of a world that they think they need to take action on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's scary. That's dangerous. It is. It's dangerous and it's scary. And I talk on the podcast about how, you know, having a small group of citizens decide that they can just take into their own hands the democratic process and try to change the government or change the world through violence. That is a that is a scary idea. And it's especially scary when it's, you know, yoked to white supremacy and authoritarianism the way it was on January 6th. 
say what you will about the 60s, but it was built on, you know, Americans were dying and, and killing people. And that was not a false flag. There was definitely upset in, in the world. I think that's exactly right. I think the tricky thing, you know, when you look at radicalization, you can say, you know, nobody should be radicalized. We should all be moderates. But the truth is the big difference here is, you know, you can be radicalized, say what you will about their actions. You can be radicalized by real things, you know, racism, uh, classism, the destruction of the climate, or you can be radicalized by fake things like, you know, people supposedly being Democrats being pedophiles or whatever. And and that makes a big difference, kind of what you're fighting for. Uh, Black Lives Matter, to, to get on that point, I mean, some might, uh, sadly, in the, in the um, you know, in the passing of, in the murder of George Floyd, we did see an outpouring of um, a colorful community, whites and blacks together, which is what the dream of the 60s and 70s, whites and blacks together were on the streets of American cities in communities saying, we will not tolerate this. It was almost living the dream of what, what your podcast was about. I think that's right. It was inspiring to see that. And I think, you know, one of the terrible tragedies of the 60s and 70s is that you did have leaders, Martin Luther King Jr., of course, but also Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Illinois Black Panthers, who was trying to build a rainbow coalition in Chicago. He was working with my parents, with SDS, with a bunch of other groups of different races to try to make change. And then the Chicago police killed him. So, you know, you have this sense of like leaders who could have done so much more. And then they were, um, you know, their lives ended tragically short. And then there are the kids, the children of these 60s radicals, who today are all adults, some of whom, like Zaid Ayers Dorn, grew up in the underground. His parents would eventually surrender to authorities to reduce charges, and with little or no jail time. It's a bit ironic, but some of the charges these 60s radicals faced had to be thrown out because the methods the FBI used back then to pursue them amounted to illegal spying and intimidation. Four minutes after six, an armed robbery at the Nanuet Mall yesterday afternoon and subsequent shootout in Nyack has left three people dead, two of them Nyack police officers and one brink security guard. In the early 80s, what was left of these groups literally disintegrated with the ambush on police along the New York State Thruway in Nyack following the Rockland County Brinks job. We're going to pull up a U-Haul truck. Uh, it's going into the thruway here. Do you have a description? Nyack police officers O'Grady, Keenan, and Brown attempted to stop one of the vehicles, which was a U-Haul van containing the fleeing gunman. The gunman fired upon the officers with automatic weapons. A Brink security guard and two Nyack police officers were killed. These were black revolutionaries carrying out a bank job to fund their revolution against black oppression. Ironically, one of their victims was a black police officer. Waverly Brown. It will most certainly go down in Rockland County history. A tragic day it was October 20th of 1981, the day that saw for the first time two Rockland police officers shot in cold blood in the line of duty. What was shocking at the time was the emergence of members of the Weather Underground, some of whom hadn't been seen for more than a decade. Boudin and Gilbert were the parents of a 14-month-old son at the time of the Brinks job. They left him that day with a babysitter and never returned home. It is a scar that the children of these radicals still bear today. There is a common thread that runs through the children, isn't it? There is, there is a bit of, um, you know, I, I don't want to say anger, but I guess part of it is anger. But, you know, um, upset. Very complicated feelings. Yeah, yeah. upset that your parents uh, and Chesa Boudin's parents and others, Joanne Chesimard's daughter, yeah. 
saying there was a selfishness uh, to to revolution, wasn't there? Yeah, well, one of the things I grapple with in the show is, you know, I was born underground. My parents were on the run from the FBI. And I asked them on the show, you know, why would you have kids if you're if you're literally trying to make a violent revolution? And that was something I struggled with growing up. You know, how do you explain that your parents, they cared about you, but they cared about overthrowing the government almost as much as they cared about you. And, and, you know, but a lot of us, a lot of Weather Kids and Panther Cubs have gone on to be writers and artists and activists and to try to change the world in our own way. I think that um, the case of Chesa Boudin is is really interesting and obviously timely. Um, he's someone that I've uh, had a chance to uh, to speak to and, and, uh, and heard from, and I was impressed. I mean, obviously, he's a very smart and bright person, mm-hmm. rose the ranks, and... Um, uh, despite his uh, difficult upbringing, um, he was raised by your parents and mm-hmm. in your same uh, house uh, yeah. here in here in New York City. Um, but he he became a real uh, an honor student, uh, went on to a to kind of a brilliant law career. Yeah. Uh, and that's an amazing accomplishment, don't you think? I do, yeah. I mean, Chesa was a troubled kid. His parents left him with a babysitter when he was a year and a half old, went, went out to rob a bank and never came home. So that kind of trauma was with him. When we adopted him, he was a very troubled kid, almost kicked out of school a couple of times. But he ended up going to Yale, getting a Rhodes Scholarship, going to Yale Law School, and became district attorney of San Francisco. Complicated time. He just uh, only a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, if that, um, was recalled in an election in the podcast. I think you refer to it as uh, he was sort of the victim. Still, We're still trying to understand it, mm-hmm. but of a, a kind of a right wing. Um, a backlash. Yeah, a, a backlash. And, mm-hmm. you know, we see even the day after that vote in San Francisco, uh, there are, you know, there were calls in this city to to look at the Manhattan district attorney. And, he, and he's brand new. He's only, you know, a few months on the job. And to, you know, we're talking about recalling him based on the based on the strength. What do you read into into that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the campaign to recall Chesa started two weeks after his election. So there was never any attempt to see if his policies would work or if, you know, reforming the criminal justice system was a viable path. They immediately tried to take him out. And by they, I mean the police union in San Francisco and some right-wing money, Republican money. And, and you know, the truth is they don't want to see if those ideas can work. They, they are scared of those ideas. And so I think that's what I mean by backlash, that people didn't want to try an end to mass incarceration. What do you think is the next move for Chase Boudin? I think he's got a lot of possibilities ahead of him. I mean, he has many job offers already. I think he could run again for district attorney. I think he could be a law professor. I think he could, um, you know, change the world in a lot of other ways. Maybe he'll write a book, but I think he's a very talented guy and he's got a bright future. Um, wrapping up with, what, what's the button on this conversation? Did you learn more than you intended to when you uh, went out to do this? And did it accomplish what you wanted to do? I hope so. I mean, I think it was a a really interesting experience. I learned a lot. And I think if you listen to it, you'll find both a crazy story with, you know, bank robberies and jail breaks and demonstrations and bombings, but also a kind of a family story where you actually get to understand who these people are, why they were radicalized, and why they tried to change the world in the way they did. Appreciate it. Say thank you. Thank you, Tim. History is never neat. These stories are complicated but very valuable. Understanding how people are motivated, hearing how they look back on their actions and see them now, is without question very useful. My thanks to Zaid Ayers Dorn and the podcast team that put together Mother Country Radicals. It's interesting and impressive. And 
available on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS 880, an Odyssey-owned station, and you can find us on the Odyssey app as well or wherever you get your podcasts. The executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld. Thank you for listening, and as I like to say, please be safe. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 